This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're looking this morning at verses 13 through 17. We continue our series of studies in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're looking this morning at verses 13 through 17. Please hear the word of God. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. We give thanks to the Lord for his word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask that as we study the scriptures this morning, that your spirit would be our guide into their truths, and that, Father, he would not only grant us grace to understand your word correctly, but, Father, as your people, to receive it as your word as the authority in our lives. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. The fifth commandment instructs us to honor our father and our mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, they ask some questions to uh, uh, explain and to amplify the commandment, what is required in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment requires the preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. And then what is forbidden? It forbids the neglecting of or doing anything against the honor and duty which belongs to everyone in their several places and relations. The writers of the Catechism wisely recognize that that commandment, certainly while it applies most directly to the relationship that we children have with our parents, uh, as that relationship might develop when we're young children up to the point where we are adult children of our parents, They also recognize that the implications of that commandment are far greater than just the home. The commandment teaches us what it means to live as those under authority. The first authority we experience is that of our parents, but certainly not the last. We find ourselves under authority in school, uh, at work, and certainly in uh, our 
relationship to the government as citizens of our nation. And so, in one sense, you could say that what Peter is doing here in chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, is merely taking the fifth commandment and applying it to us in our relationship to the government as citizens of that government. We are to recognize that authority, and we are to submit to that authority in a way that honors the Lord. Now, I think Peter certainly would recognize what he's saying here as an extension of the fifth commandment. But as he writes it, he's also writing it uh, as a development of what he has already said back in verses 11 and 12. And in those verses, as we saw, he's speaking of, of general Christian behavior in the world, uh, that we are aliens here, we are exiles, we are a people that belongs to a different place. And so we're living here as sojourners, as visitors. And so to abstain from the passions of our fallen nature, which destroy us, which wage war against us, to keep our behavior among the unbelievers honorable, to maintain good conduct uh, among them. So we silence their slander and instead bear a faithful witness that we hope would lead them to faith in Christ with us so that on the day of Christ they would give glory to God. Now, Peter speaks there very general, generally, and what he goes on to say in our passage here, as well as what follows, is really some specific applications. What does it mean, as he says in verse 12, to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable? What does it look like? Well, he applies that in some different areas. And one that we see today has to do with how we keep our conduct honorable in our relationship to the government that's over us. This raises some questions, what Peter said in 11 and 12. If we are a different people, if we are a people really who, who, who do not belong to this world, then what does that say about our relationship to, to nations, to civil governments here in this world? And that's what Peter goes on to, to describe. But the basic idea that he's getting across here is that as Christians, we should be exemplary citizens of the nation in which we live. As Christians, we should be exemplary citizens of the nation in which we live. Now, how, how do we do that? Well, he gives us three ways here in this passage. First, we set a good example as citizens, as he says here, by submitting to the authority of the government that the Lord has placed over us. And we see this in verses 13 and 14. Notice the very first thing he says here, apart from submitting to the government, is be subject or submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil, praise those who do good. So we, we demonstrate our good citizenship by our submission to the government. We do it, as he says right off the bat, for the Lord's sake. You see, this really is the most important thing here. For the Lord's sake. We do this as a way to honor Christ. We don't do it because our primary allegiance is to the government. No. Our primary allegiance is to Christ and for Christ's sake. Out of deference and obedience to Christ, we submit ourselves to the government that he's placed over us. I like the way John Piper puts it here. He just says, Christians do not submit to human institutions simply because they feel like it 
or because they have compliant personalities, or because the institutions have coercive powers. In other words, because they force you to. We do not look first at ourselves to see what we feel like doing, nor do we look first at the institution, like government, to see if there are consequences for not submitting. We look first to God. We consult God about the institution, and we submit for his sake. And that's what Peter says. He doesn't just say be subject to every human institution. He says do it for the Lord's sake. Do it because you submit to him. Now, what Peter is saying here is that our allegiance to Christ and our identity as a holy nation in and of itself, the kingdom of Christ, does not rule out allegiance to and submission to earthly political kingdoms and governments. We honor them because we honor the Lord. And he is our primary authority, which also means that we obey him first. That means, of course, that if there is some law of the government that forces us or tries to force us or commands us to do something that Christ says we must not do, then like the apostles in Acts chapter 5, we say we must obey God rather than man. We must obey Christ and disobey the government if we have to, rather than obey the government and disobey Christ. Christ is at the, uh, the top of the chain of command there. But the fact is, at least here in the U.S., that rarely happens. There are things that our government sanctions or allows or promotes even that we don't like, but it's one thing for the government to do things we don't like. It's another thing for the government to tell you, you must do something that you do not like. Uh, At those points we say, no, we must obey Christ rather than man. But for the most part, by and large, uh, the two do not come into agreement. There may be things the government uh, has, laws, tax policies, whatever it might be, that certainly do have a moral bearing that we may not like, but at the same time, that's why this very passage is here. Obviously, it's easy to submit to the government when we like it, when we like what it's doing. We like its policies and rules. It's harder when it may be something we don't like, even at the same time while we can't say that it violates a command of Scripture or, or compels us to violate a command of Scripture. But that's what Peter is saying here. And he goes on to indicate, uh, by broadening this a little bit, that it has to do with various levels of authority. He says, whether it be to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors as sent by him, his emissaries, or lower levels of government, uh, whose purpose, Peter says here, and he sort of echoes Paul in, in Romans 13, the purpose is to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. It's really outside our scope to look a lot at Romans 13, although if you want to read a passage that sort of parallels this one and in instructing us in our relationship to the government, uh, that's a good one to read. But in both passages, we, we see that God places this authority, the government, over us for the purpose of serving as a hedge, uh, a bulwark against evil. And you look at government, and it's easy to be cynical and say, you know, far from being a hedge against evil, the government is a, is a, is a, you know, a breeding ground of all kinds of evil. Well, perhaps so, but think about it this way. Suppose the government suddenly were not there. Uh, think of how evil can grow and spread. And, and we recognize government doesn't do its job perfectly in this fallen world any more than anything else in this fallen world works perfectly. We recognize that. 
but we also need to thank God that insofar as government does reward those who do what is right and punish those who do what is wrong, it is functioning as uh, a hedge against the spread and the increase of evil in our land. And so we need to pray for it to function that way and give thanks to God when it does function in that way at the various levels. The emperor, governors, and we can apply that in different ways, different branches of the federal or state government or the federal and state and local governments themselves. Uh, we recognize that God has placed those there, uh, and, and they are accountable to him. Those who serve in government are accountable to him for how they carry out that function. But Peter's point here is simply that even though we are citizens of a different kingdom that's not of this world, even though we ourselves are a holy nation unto ourselves, even though we are sojourners and foreigners here in this land, that on the one hand certainly uh, means that we have a relationship with the federal government, state government, local government here. And that, on the other hand, that relationship is to be one of submission, of being an exemplary citizen insofar as we are able. Now, it needs to be said, certainly in our context, in the United States, where we have the freedom to speak out politically, to vote, to be involved in influencing the government to uh, adopt views and policies that we like, uh, this is not saying that if we don't like a policy, we can't work to have it changed. What it is saying is that you don't uh, execute or assassinate the person with the policy you don't like. Uh, we function under laws and, and should do so. We have the opportunity to change policies that we don't like and the procedures that we uh, can, can, can get that accomplished. Um, I think Peter would say, certainly, if you don't like laws that are on the books in our nation or our state, that submitting to them uh, under the government doesn't mean you can't work to have those things changed. Uh, but it does mean that you recognize the authority that God has placed in the, the government. And so that's what he's saying here, that our identity as a new people in Christ does not take away our responsibility and our obligations as citizens to recognize the authority of the government that God has put into place. Of course, there are extreme cases where you have something like a uh, a, a Nazi Germany, you know, where the government is, is truly promoting evil. A lot of complex questions arise uh, as to the government, the potential overthrow of the government. And I think you have to work all those out in the context of, uh, again, Acts 5, we must obey God rather than man. It's also worth uh, asking the question here, while there was some uh, persecution from the government at this point, uh, some of the worst had not yet occurred. Um, you know, what would Peter say after some of the, uh, the, the, the more harsh persecutions of people on the part of the Roman Empire? Uh, I think he would still say the same thing. Uh, even if that government abuses its power and persecutes the good and, and rewards the evil, nevertheless, it is still there by the will of God and is still accountable to God. For what it does. But insofar as we are able, we do submit to the authority of the government. And uh, so bear a good witness to those around us. Now, the second way that we should live as exemplary uh, citizens under the government God has put over us is by doing just that. In verse 15, by silencing the critics. We mentioned last time, as we looked at verses 11 and 12, that the Christians had sort of a public relations problem in the first century. People had all kinds of misconceptions about them, misunderstandings about them, uh, faulty information about them, and uh, saw Christians as a threat, saw Christians as a 
problem. Uh, saw Christians as, as not being good citizens. And it's in that context, Peter is writing this here in verse 15. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now notice, Peter isn't just saying, I'm giving this to you as good advice. He says, this is God's will for you. You know, we get those statements every now and then. First Thessalonians has it a couple of times. This is God's will for you, you know, that you abstain from sexual immorality. This is God's will for you, that you give thanks in all circumstances. You know, this is a, this, uh, they're not written by Paul, here by Peter is another one of those. This is God's will for you. This isn't just Peter's advice, but God's will that by doing good, you silence ignorant people who are criticizing and slandering Christians. Doing good publicly, public level, maybe even Christians involved in politics. You know, doing good on a, on a pretty visible level, but certainly on a private level as well. Serving, showing that as believers, we are good citizens. We are, we are an asset to our nation. We are not a liability to our nation. And that's what Peter is saying here, that in doing these things, these good works, we silence their ignorant, misinformed, um, misguided slander against Christians. It's worth noting that the word that Peter uses here, doing good, and as he writes, it's just one word, those who do good, good doers, um, it occurs nine times in the New Testament. Four of those occur in 1 Peter alone. It occurs nine times, eight uh, different places. One of the verses, it occurs twice. But out of those uh, out of those nine times or eight different places where it occurs, four of those are in First Peter. Doing good, doing good, doing good, silencing the ignorance of those who slander us by proving that we're not a threat, we're not a liability, that we are in fact an asset to any nation. So by silencing the critics, that's a way that we live as exemplary citizens. And then last, we, we live as exemplary citizens by serving God. And this kind of gets back to where Peter started, that we do this for the Lord's sake. We do this because we're first followers of Christ. Notice verses 16 and 17. We serve God freely. Verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You see, he says, we are free. We are free in Christ. We are free to choose what we do and what we do not do. But he says, don't use that as a cover-up for evil. You know, the Westminster Confession of Faith has a good chapter on Christian liberty, what that means and what it doesn't mean. What it does not mean is that now that we have freedom in Christ, we can just sin as we please. We're not free to sin. We have been set free from sin. We are free now to live as believers, to follow Christ, to obey him. And so we're not slaves of the government uh, just because, uh, as John Piper says, we're compliant, so we just obey the government, or because the government threatens us if we don't. But we choose to submit. We choose to be good citizens because of Christ, because we are set free in him. We, and we do it as an act of service to Christ, service to God, living as servants of God. So we do so freely. We, we submit to the government because we're serving God. We do so freely, but we also do so comprehensively. Notice that last verse, verse 17, just almost like bullet points. Uh, as Peter sort of finishing the thought, maybe wanting to move on, he just, he just hits these short statements, staccato-like 
statements, but they're, they're pretty comprehensive. Notice they, they include social relationships, church relationships, uh, spiritual relationship, political relationships. First of all, he says, honor everyone. Well, there you go. You can't get much more comprehensive than that. Um, we are to show honor to all people. We're to, to show them the love of Christ, the regard that Christ would have for them. That was one of the striking things about Christ's ministry. Uh, as you read the Gospels, you know, as we were studying Matthew, is that Christ would would deal uh, lovingly, gently, with attention to, with dignity toward those whom society casts out and writes off, uh, those whom the higher-ups had no time for. Jesus would talk to them. He would listen to them. He would pay attention to them. That in itself is, a, is an illustration of what it means to honor everyone. And Jesus did that. But socially, we are to give everyone the honor that, that they are due, again, for Christ's sake. The second one he mentions, it's ecclesiastical. Love the brotherhood. Change of verbs here. We do give honor to everyone, but for those who are a brother or sister in Christ with us, we are to love them. Again, you know, the Bible speaks in many places of that love that Christ has for us, so we are to love one another. We are to fear God. That, by the way, is uh, where the source of fearing or submitting to the government springs from, because we fear God, because he's placed this government over us, we submit to it, we serve it. But it comes out of a fear of God, not a terror of God, but that, uh, that respect, that awe toward him, which we as his children, dearly loved by him, his treasured possession, nevertheless should have toward God. We, we avoid a, a sentimental or or out of place, informality with God. Intimacy, yes, but not disrespect. We fear God. And then politically, he ends kind of where he began. Honor the emperor. What if the emperor is a Christian killer? Well, we do recognize that he is in that place by the appointment of God. We recognize that he is uh, accountable to God for his use and abuse of that position and that opportunity. But I think Peter would say, as much as possible, you recognize the authority that he holds as that given by God. Uh, and insofar as he carries out his office well, you honor him. And if he's putting Christians to death, you hide from him and do everything you can to spread the gospel of Christ. But again, Peter is not addressing all the hard questions, all the secondary matters that could arise. He's speaking in general terms, and he's speaking in a specific context of saying, Christian, you have an obligation by being a good and faithful citizen to silence those who say Christians are a liability. And so we do it. As Christians, we need to be good citizens. Yes, it does mean doing all we can to make our government as good as it can be, carry out its biblical functions as well as it can, while recognizing Part, it, too, is part of a fallen world where things don't work the way that they should. Uh, we do so not because we're slaves of the government, but because we are free servants of God. And we do so because we want to have a good witness to this world. We see God calls us to live all of life to his glory. And that includes our relationships to the authority he has placed over us. Uh, and in verse 12 says, the desire is that our lives as Christian citizens would help our witness to the gospel. It's, it is a means to an end, that it would help and it would enhance and not hinder our witness to Christ. And the desire, again, as verse 12 says, is that unbelievers would see our good deeds. 
They would see our willing submission to the laws of our nation and our state and our city and our county, and that that would strike them. And by that, along certainly with the testimony of our lips, that they would be one to Christ, and that they too will glorify God on the day of Christ Jesus. Make sure that your relationship to the authority of the government over you is a help to and not a hindrance to your witness to Christ Jesus, both in word and in deed. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for these words. Father, we recognize that Christians, ever since the day Peter wrote these words, have sometimes had an ambivalent relationship with the government. Uh, Sometimes, Lord, the government has been a great help to them, sometimes a great fear, great terror to them. But, Father, we recognize our obligations in the fifth commandment to recognize authority uh, that you have put into place. Father, we pray for our own nation, our own government, the federal government, state government, with the various challenges they face. Lord, we pray that you would be at work there. And, Father, in spite of the fall, in spite of sinful people, in spite of sin at work in this world, that we would have a government that, by and large, encourages what is good, that punishes what is evil, and that restrains evil in this world. Help us, Father, as citizens of this nation, to be faithful citizens, uh, to recognize your authority in the government over us. And, Father, we pray that by your grace we would be a tremendous asset to this nation in which you have placed us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.